Good morning. I'm Eric Eskew from the uh, Tech Booth, and we'll be reading the scripture. Please stand uh, for the reading. Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the, the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Well, amen. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Ben, for uh, leading us today. So let's, let's dive into our text today. I'll encourage you, if you've got a Bible, to open it. Uh, if you don't, to open it up. If you've got your Bible app, to open it up on your app to where we are in our text I'll read our text again. It'll be on the screen, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So Paul continues his barrage of words that consistently point back to our hero. Who's our hero? Jesus. Yeah, he continues to point back to Jesus and specifically in our text continues to point back to verse 3. So verse 3 in Ephesians chapter 1 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so verse 3 starts with this big thanksgiving and exhortation from Paul in his letter. And he's like, thanks be to God and blessed be our God because of what he's doing for us. And so, I mean, he, he just rolls right into it here in Ephesians. And, and so he uses Trinitarian language in this because he talks about God the Father and God the Son. And so I'll just sidebar really quick. A, a, a quick theology lesson is... We are Trinitarians here at Refuge, uh, which means that we believe there is one God in three persons, okay? We're not modalists. And so if you've grown up in a, a religious tradition that says uh, God moves from mode to mode, so sometimes God is God the Father, and sometimes God is God the Son in redemption, now God is God the Spirit at work today, that's called modalism, and it's a heresy. Uh, and, and so uh, we believe that the Scripture teaches very clearly uh, it, it speaks of both the Father and the Son separately here. So we believe that God is, uh, God is one and He is a Trinitarian God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I say this in our um, uh, Discover class that God the Father is neither God the Son nor God the Spirit. God the Son is neither God the Father nor God the Spirit. And God the Spirit is neither God the Father nor God the Son. Got it? Are you with me here? <laughs> Y'all are like, huh? Uh, all right, so you track, tracking with me? So we're Trinitarians here, and so we speak of that. He uses Trinitarian language, distinguishing between God the Father, distinguishing between God the Son, and acknowledges that every good gift comes from above, specifically uh, spiritual blessings and redemption, okay? So today's text continues that Paul's expression of this blessing uh, that we as followers of Jesus have in Jesus by following him. So let's dig in verse 2, uh, verse 11. This is what it says. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel 
of his will. And so this literally means that we were adopted and we will receive an inheritance, okay? So we were adopted into the family and we will receive this, this, this. There's a guarantee that we will receive an inheritance. Inheritance is one of the main focuses of this part of the text. Verse 11 says this. Look, look at verse 11. It says, it, it says, we have obtained, say have obtained, have obtained an inheritance. Look at verse 14. Look in your Bibles. It's what it says. And it says, an inheritance is guaranteed. Say guaranteed. Yeah, our inheritance is guaranteed. If you look further down in verse 18, it speaks to the riches of the inheritance. Say that with me. The riches of the inheritance for those in Christ Jesus. And so if you're a Christian, if you're born again, if the Spirit of God lives in you, then he's talking about you. He's talking about me and you in that very text. And so first off, we, we, say, we may say this, well, what is an inheritance? And so we think many times of an inheritance as something like this, the reception of genetic qualities by transmission from parent to offspring. So I, uh, we, some of our children inherit things from us, right? So they might inherit our eye color. So your, your kids, you may look at them and go, oh, they got my eyes, you know? And so you go, oh, look, that's cute. Or they, they have my wife's eyes or something like that. Or uh, they may have our hair color. Oh, they've got the same hair color as dad or mom or something like that. Or maybe you've got the body build that you, you know, and sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad, you know, depending on who you get that from. Or, or that, that's the same hands or the same feet. Or if you're like me, you're kind of big in the middle and a little bit of back, you know, and sometimes your, your kids get blessed or cursed with that, you know, as well. And so uh, those are... Um, uh, and uh, things that we acquire as an inheritance sometimes from our parents. But there's also another definition of inheritance, and it's this. The acquisition of a possession, condition, or trait from past generations. And so this is the thought from the text today, that you're acquiring something from the past. Okay? That, so, so when we're thinking about this today, when we're thinking about inheritance today, we're acquiring something from the past. So think about inheritance today. Uh, maybe your grandparents have left some land to you. And, and so they, upon their death, they, they leave you some land and, and they, it, it moves from their possession into someone else's possession at their death and they pass that along to someone else. My, my grandparents passed along uh, some land to my father and now after a long and winding road, uh, it belongs to my brother and me. Uh, it, was, it was quite the road to get there. Uh, let, let me just let me sidebar on my brother really quick. A lot of you ask about my brother. He uh, um, just for those of you who don't know, I'll give you a quick. This is going to be like the three minute update on Brett Benjamin. Uh, he was um, poisoned, and and so uh, it left him uh, unable to walk or to use his hands. Uh, so he doesn't have use of his. For a while, he didn't have any use of his hands or legs, his feet, his arms, his hands couldn't do anything basically was laying in the bed and fully dependent on other people. And so once we finally figured out what had happened to him, uh, they gave him some medicine that actually pulled the poison out of his blood. It should have killed him. There was enough in his system to kill him. Uh, it pulled the poison out of his body and out of his system. And so he had been transferred down. He's in Jackson, Tennessee at a neuro rehab facility. Uh, and so he is there. His, the insurance paid for him for... Uh, uh, for a month, and then they were going to dismiss him. They were going to have, they got to get out. The man, he was, he was not ready really to get out. And so uh, 
Carol and I found a way to, uh, to pay for two more weeks, to, to got some money and, and paid for them two more weeks. And then, I, and then I'll, I'll just have to tell you this story because I think it's just talked about genero- people's generosity. There, there's a lady that's part of, uh, it was actually Jerry's uh, aunt, uh, my, my, my late wife's aunt, uh, lives down in Louisiana. And she watched, she's probably watching right now and listening right now. And so um, her name's Cindy Salter. Uh, she, uh, they sold this big um, a resort thing that they had where people go fishing and camping and things like that. They sold it. She got some money from that. And she had called me and said, hey, I want to send this to your church because she watches this online and has been for a number, uh, couple of years now and is growing in her faith and becoming a faithful follower of Jesus. And so she was, said, I want to go and I want to support what's going on in the church. So she called me last week and said, Scott, I sent that check to you and it came back to me. And I'm like, I, I haven't seen it. I've been on vacation. I must have missed it. And so she said, well, I'm going to send it again. And, and, this, and you just, you know, you can give it to the church. I'm like, that's fantastic. It's very generous of you to do that. Two days later, she calls me and she said, I just read about your brother. She said, I, I, I don't even, she said, what in the world happened? I explained the story to her. And she said, I'm just going to tell you, I feel impressed by the Lord that uh, I need to give that money to him. And so she's taking that money that she was going to give to us as a church, and she's giving it to my brother to give him two more weeks in this rehab facility. That's generosity. And that's, that's, that, that's extreme generosity. She doesn't, she doesn't know my brother. Uh, but she, uh, the Spirit moved her and uh, allowed her to do that. Anyway, that's, that's just generosity, and that's like family stuff. She, she talks about it all the time. She's like, you know, we're still family, Scott. I'm like, I know we are. Yes, we are. And, and so, uh, uh, so she was continuing to just help my brother. And so if you, when his name's Brett, and so if you'll pray for him when you think about it, uh, he, he's getting stronger every day. And so I would just encourage you to continue to pray for him. Pray he'll get use of his arms and hands and legs and feet again for sure. All right, uh, so back to inheritance. Uh, um, so my grandmother had a, a senior picture of my mother that hung in her house for a long time. Remember, it was her and Uncle Buddy, and they had had pictures that hung in her living room. And now I have, I inherited that picture, and so now it hangs in my house, a picture of my mom that that hangs in my house. So my my kids never knew her, uh, and so they at least get to see maybe what she kind of looked like. Uh, There was this red vase that always uh, sat in my grandmother's bathroom, and, and so it passed from there, and my mom had that, and now it sits in our bathroom. And it's just an inheritance piece that came to me um, and uh, it was a reminder that it belonged to them, and now it belongs to me. I inherited that. And so many times things like that come through wills and uh, family agreements upon a person's death, but someone decided something would be mine, right? That's how that happens. And so in inheritance, someone decides that something will be yours. If you gain an inheritance, someone else has decided it will be yours, right? You tracking with me? So it's through nothing that you did, not because you were necessarily a good girl or a good boy, but simply because of their kindness toward you. And so we call that grace. Unmerited favor. Unearned kindness from another toward you. From your grandparents or parents, you receive something that you did not earn. So in them, you have obtained an inheritance. You see that? Much more. Much more. Look, look what it says 
in verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance. Let's, let's get back to that and see what that actually says here. In him, in him we have obtained an inheritance. You know what that is? Tambourine moment. That's tambourine. Like that's exciting moments because in him, through nothing of our own, through nothing we did, through nothing that we uh, earned on our own, we have obtained an inheritance from Jesus. That's the essence of the gospel. That is unearned kindness. In Jesus, we gain something we did not earn. Salvation. We gain salvation, which means we're saved from the wrath of God. We gain redemption, which means we are redeemed from our sins. Our sins have been paid for. We don't have to pay for our sins anymore because someone else has paid them on our behalf. We gain adoption into the family because God has said, I'm going to adopt you as my child. You now belong to me. You're now part of the family. We gain forgiveness of our sins, and this is yours in Jesus. So you have obtained this. You already received this. It's already yours. Nothing of which you earned if you're in Christ Jesus. Amen? Nothing of which you earned. Paul will write about this more in chapter 2. Now, the question becomes, is this uh, uh, what happens with uh, regularly in the, in the Christian life? This doesn't mean that you get to enjoy your inheritance and sit around and do nothing. I mean, we just gain this and we sit and do nothing with it. Do we gain an inheritance from God? Do we gain this from him and just sit on our pile of, of blessings? Is that what we do? Is that what we do? No, that's not what we're called to do. Uh, au contraire, I would say. Uh, James is pretty clear about this. In the New Testament, James writes about much of this. Just what he says in verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, if, you're, if you studied James before, you go, man, is James getting into works-based salvation? We'll talk about that. But James says that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. He says this, and the same way was not Rahab, also Rahab the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. See what James is saying? He's like, you're going to gain an inheritance, but it's not yours to just sit on and do nothing with. See, salvation is by faith alone, but that faith will never be alone. Your salvation is by faith alone. That faith will never be alone. Faith without works is what? Dead. Faith without works is dead. And so if you call yourself a Christian, and I know many of you do, but there's no, no outflowing of your life. There's nothing happening with it. You're just sitting on your faith and hope, waiting for the good by and by. Then your faith is dead. James says faith without works is dead, which means it doesn't exist. So let's get back to the text because we've got a lot to talk about in the text. All right, look what it says. In him we have obtained an inheritance and have been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of of his will. Now, there is that P word again. Predestined. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to underline it in our text. And I would encourage you to underline it as well. Are you underlining? Are you underlining or circling? Okay. 
Now, I know this word becomes troubling for some of you. Some of you, this is your first day to walk into refuge, and you're like, seriously? That's what we're going to talk about. Well, we just talk about what the text talks about, okay? That's just what we do. He says, uh, I, I, and look, I, I know many of you may have spent years in churches that almost, or probably not even almost, but strongly and maybe even angrily pointed to this word and teaching that it's not biblical. It's not the way God does things. That free, free will of man is the ultimate and highest and trumps everything else in God's creation. The free will of man trumps everything else in God's creation. But listen, we don't get the luxury of forming our theology based on how we feel or how we think God should do some things. I'll say that one more time. We don't get the luxury of forming or thinking about theology based on how we feel or how we think that God should do things. Okay? Thankfully, he gave us the Bible. And he gave us the Bible to know him And what he has determined is enough to begin to understand that he is God and literally rules and reigns over his entire creation in all, say all, all aspects of his creation. He rules and reigns over all aspects of his creation. So wherever you stand on how you believe about this, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear and let's allow the text to guide our learning, okay? Let's don't allow our preconceived notions. Let's don't allow what my grandmama said. Let's don't allow what I'm angry about. Because I know this stirs up things within us. And we don't like this word because we don't like to be controlled because we're Americans. Okay? I get it. I'm as red-blooded American as they come. I don't like anybody. Nobody controls me. That's what I always like to say. But, but, but God is overarching. He gets to do what he wants to do. Okay? Are we okay with that? All right, good. Then y'all will be fine with the rest of this. Paul says that we have obtained an inheritance, and this inheritance is ours. Why? Because those of us who have been born again were predestined to be born again. Okay? Now, I, I usually put words on the screen, but I want you to look at your Bible, and as we go, through, I'm going to show you some other texts, not from just this word. We're going to look at some other texts. And I want you to actually look at the text with me on your Bible or on your app or whatever you're using to follow along with me. I want you to follow along with me. Uh, my wife, Carol, is a second grade teacher, and she says this is called text evidence, okay? <laughs> text evidence is what we're, we're doing. So this is what we're Ephesians uh, uh, 1, 4, and 5. I'm going to actually have this on the screen, but I want you to look in your Bible. Actually, you know what? I'm going to look in my Bible, and I'm going to have it on the screen just so we're covering all our bases. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 says this, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. See that? Okay? That's not me saying that. That is me reading the Bible. Okay? Now, turn with me from Ephesians to Romans. That's to the left. Okay? Am I the only one with like a paper Bible in here? I don't hear any pages turning. Ephesians uh, 
Uh, excuse me, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. I didn't, I, that's why you weren't turning, because I didn't tell you a text, did I? Ephesians, I mean, excuse me, Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says what? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, uh, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those who, among whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he glorified. So what does Paul say here? In verse 30, he says, those whom he predestined, so there's our word again, he also called, and those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he glorified. See, most of us are fine with, he called me, he uh, justified me, and he uh, glorified me, right? We're okay with that piece. But the piece we run into is the other part of the Bible that says he predestined us for this. Well, it's not just Paul who says this. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 16. John 15, 16 says this, you did not choose me. Stop right there. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide and that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. But preacher, why are we predestined? I'm glad you asked. Paul answers that question in the remainder of this verse. Look what he says back in verse 11. So we're back in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. He says this, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined. Why? According to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will. God chose to predestine his people to be the people, to be his people, and to give them an inheritance. He's like, I'm choosing a people. He chooses all through the scriptures. He chose Israel. He chose Abraham. He chose all people. We, we're all, I, I tell people all the time, we're fine with this in the Old Testament. It's just when we cross over to the New Testament, everything, everybody gets squirrely about it. But it says that God chose his people to be his people and to give an inheritance to those who are in Christ Jesus, which means those of us who are saved by grace through faith. Why, why did he do it? Because he wanted to. He just did it because he wanted to. Because God had a purpose for choosing how he chose. This is not some arbitrary snap decision in eternity past where God goes, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm just, I'm just going to think about this really quick and I'm, now I'm going to make a decision to do this really, I, I, I know I've got a plan for this, but now I'm going to change it. That's not what he did. From eternity past, this has been the plan. It's according to his infinite wisdom in conjunction with his sovereign will and his kindness. And so this is what one commentator says. He says this, God is not an agent constrained by necessity. God is not an agent constrained by necessity. So so though you and I may 
reason in a particular way around election and divine choice, and we do, right? I mean, we, we think through this and we go, well, it only makes sense this way. It only makes sense if God does this, then this should be the way it should be, right? We think that way. But you know what the scripture says? I have a Bible verse for you. Isaiah 55, 8, God's thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are our ways his ways. Amen? Yeah, we don't think like God. And thankfully, he don't think like me. You know what I'm saying? And the church said amen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, we don't think like he does. Our, our minds don't reason like he reasons. Now, Paul, who's always expecting the Ephesians and our rebuttal, uh, uh, replies in advance to the text. So he, he always answers the question, but why? Look, look what he says in verse 12. So why, why was it this way? So that we who were in the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. What does that mean? So what he's saying is, we Jewish Christians, so he said, those who were the first to hope in Christ, we Jewish Christians, that's who he came to first, Jesus came to the Jews first, so we who were the first to hope in Christ, uh, uh, who before Christ came looked forward to his coming, waiting on the deliverer to come, we were the first to hope in Christ. Remember, Ephesus is a Gentile city, which means it's a non-Jewish a group of churches that he was writing this to, Paul reminds them that the Jewish Christians were looking for Messiah to come before they ever even heard of what his name was. Before that, the, the Gentiles ever even heard of him, the Jews were looking for the Messiah to come. How do you know this preacher? Acts 26, verse 6 and 7 says this, And now I stand here on trial because my, of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers. This is Paul talking. To, to, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain, and they earnestly worship night and day, and this is the hope that I'm accused of by Jews. And he said, look, our people have been hoping for this for a long time. Our people have been looking for the Messiah to come for a long time. And so the promised deliverer was made to the Jews first. And so, so God did it this way, giving an inheritance by his grace in Jesus, first to the Jews, so that he might fulfill God's promise one more time. And, and, and so, so that's what verse 12 is saying. He said, it first came to the Jews. And then Paul goes on in verse 13 and says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And so now he turns to the Gentiles. And specifically, the, uh, the Ephesians, the, the, the Christians, the Gentiles in Ephesus, and says, Paul is like, and you too. He, he first brought it to the Jewish people, and now it's to you, Ephesians. Now it's to you, Gentiles. He, you too. He said, you also, it was given to you. So I'll say this to you, church. In Jesus, you too, church, you too, refuge. When you heard the word of truth, when you heard the gospel, the only message that saves, and you believe that you too were, he, were sealed by the Holy Spirit. And so Paul was saying this. Don't get caught in this text he's writing. Don't get caught up with the fact that Jesus was first sent to the Jews. Now you share in that same glorious faith. Now you get to share in that. Think about how cool this is. Paul said, this first came to the Jews and now to the Ephesian Gentiles and now to the Lakeland Fugees. Okay? You know what I'm saying? So, so first came the Jews, and then it came to the Gentiles, Ephesus. And so now that we have the scriptures, 
and we hear the gospel proclaimed, this is the same gospel that he preached then, it's come to you. Man, we're just passing this along. And so the gospel is coming to bear even here today. That's really cool. So today, Paul would say, hey, refuge, in Jesus, you too, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So what's he talking about a seal? Well, a seal was something that was given back in the day. So they would understand this language because uh, back in the day when there was something that was given under a seal, they know that there was something important in there. And like a king might put something in a letter and he would put his ring into this hot wax and he would leave his seal to know that what I've said in here is true and what I've said in here is binding and what I've said in here is is the the law of the land. And so you would see if it had the king's, you know, his mug on it or his name or whatever they put on their seal at the time, they'd put that in the wax and they'd send it to other people and go, this is from the king. And this is like official. Uh, and so you can trust whatever is, is contained in this is true. And so the Holy Spirit does this on a cosmic level to believers, okay? The Holy Spirit seals us uh, uh, Romans chapter 5 verse 5 says God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Romans says this, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons who we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. That's our seal. Do you see that? So think about this with me. Uh, The Spirit is like a seal that gets pressed onto our souls at regeneration. So when we repent and believe and our hearts become alive, um, then there's a seal that is placed on us. So now, so because we belong to God, the Spirit impresses His image on us never to be removed. Put your thumb over on your neighbor. Okay? Put your thumb on your neighbor. If they had like a wax piece on them, and you put, you would be putting your print on them right there. By, you would be pressing yourself into them. You would be putting your imprint on them. And the seal of the Holy Spirit, though, says this is a once and for all. Look what it says in verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, it says that you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so this is not one of those Ronco sealers that you have to keep on sealing over and over again. You know, you open it up and it breaks the seal. You've got to send the Ronco over it again. This is not one of those infomercials or anything like that. But the scripture says that this happens once for all. Say once. Once. And so why does this happen? Why, why does it happen this way? Well, Paul talks about it in verse 14. So it says... Um, who you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So think about it in this way. Today, if I go to the bank and ask for a loan for a house, I'm going to say, hey, I want to buy a house. And so I need a loan. They're going to want a lot of things, right? Who's been through that process? Yeah, most of us in here. Yeah. So they ask for like tons of things. They want to know everything it is about you. Um, mainly what, who I am and what I do, and do I have the ability to do what I'm going to say that I'm going to do? That's really what they're trying to find out. Do you have the ability to pay for this house that you're about to buy and to pay back the, the bank for giving you this loan? I become a guarantee for the promise that I'm making, and I affix my seal or my signature on the documents that we agree uh, that I will pay uh, 
until it becomes mine, right? That's how it works. You sign, you sign your name, that becomes my seal. That I'm agreeing to this, and I'm agreeing to all these 800 pages uh, of what a, a mortgage looks like. So it means I'm able to pay, and I'm able to complete the agreement. And again, in a much more, say much more, much more uh, majestic and eternal way, the Holy Spirit becomes the guarantor of the promise of the inheritance that we are promised until we lay hold of it. That's what this is talking about. Until it officially becomes ours. He is able to keep us until that day. So think about this. The Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So it's like the Holy Spirit has like signed across my heart and goes, I'm guaranteeing this cat until the day of his inheritance. You see that? Like, this is going to happen. What are you saying? This is going to happen. This ain't like Scott signing. I've got good credit, you know. I'm going to pay my bills and all this kind of stuff. This is the Holy Spirit signing note. And he's like, I am going to be able to hold this guy until the day of, of the time that he moves from this life into the next, until I acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory, until you acquire possession of it, the Spirit of God has sealed you. We call that in Bible language, once saved, what? Always saved. So listen, if you've come from a religious tradition that says you can lose your salvation over sinning or specific things like that, look, this says the very opposite thing because the Spirit has written his name on your heart and has sealed you until the day, until, the, uh, until, until you acquire possession of your salvation to the praise of his glory. Amen? Amen. Man. Paul says this in other letters. To live is Christ. That's what we do. And because I've been signed for, to die is gain. So in Jesus, both Jews and Gentiles who repent of their sins and believe the gospel are forever sealed or are forever guaranteed by the Holy Spirit of their future inheritance until they take possession of it. You go, well, preacher, what does all that preaching mean? Here's a question for you. How do you obtain an inheritance? How do you obtain an inheritance? Most ways, you're part of a family, right? That I'm going to pass down some things to my children. Hopefully, they'll pass some things down to their children. And they'll pass some things down to their children. That's that's the way typically inheritance works. That a family gives you something that you didn't earn on your own. And so part of this, how do you obtain this inheritance? It's to be part of the family of God. If you're not in the family of God, you don't earn this inheritance. And so so all of this that I've talked, all this that Paul's talking about is for Christians. He said, you have an an inheritance coming and you are sealed with the Holy Spirit and that's for each of you who are Christians. But for those of you who are not Christians, this this is foreign to you. This is not you. This This is not guaranteed for you unless you become part of the family of God. So you have to ask yourself literally while you're sitting there right now, do I have an inheritance coming from God? 
Do I, do I have this same inheritance that Paul talks about in the scriptures? Am I going to receive that inheritance? Is the guarantee that you've got coming one of reward or one of regret? How does that happen? If you're here going, I'm not sure, preacher. I don't know, preacher. How do I guarantee that I'm going to be part of that? How do I get Jesus to write his name on mine for me? It's very simple. We say it every week. Repent of your sins and believe the gospel. You repent and believe. This is not some works-based salvation that you have to climb the ladder to do enough more more good than bad. This is not yin-yang stuff. This is repent and believe. It's very simple. It's almost scandalous. It's so easy. And the question that comes in is how does that happen? The scripture says whenever we repent of our sins, which means we turn away from our sins and go, I recognize that I'm sinning against God and and I'm sorry for my sins against God and I believe the gospel that Jesus came and he lived the life I cannot live. He died a death I deserve to die and he was raised from the dead three days later, victorious over sin, death, and hell. Uh, When I believe those things, the scripture says that we'll be saved. Repent and believe the gospel that your only hope is found in Jesus and in nothing else. Scripture says when that happens, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said it was better for him to go away whenever he, whenever he ascended back into heaven. He said, I'm going to send the Spirit. I'm going to send the Comforter. And he, that way he will be in, he is in all of us. He fills all of us as Christians. So the question becomes, are you sealed with the Holy Spirit? Do you have a guarantee, a rock-solid guarantee of laying hold of your eternal inheritance? You can Today could be your day of salvation. Today could be your day that Jesus' names get written as the guarantor of your salvation, that the Holy Spirit signs it, seals you, and delivered. Signed, sealed, delivered. Could be your day. Listen. It is the most important decision that you'll ever make. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what you've done. I don't care about what egregious sins that you've done. Where, grace, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. That there's hope for you today. Maybe You don't even have to be one of those that sinned egregiously. The fact that you're alive and breathe means that you're a sinner. Trust me. And if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, listen if you've never put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus on your behalf, maybe you just walk through religious things, you just go to church because, you know, do you think that's the thing to do? That's not salvation. Salvation is repentance. Repentance. I don't want to be this way. I don't want to keep living this way. I recognize I sin against God and believe the gospel. Today can be your day to be sealed with the Spirit. That's our hope for you. Let me pray for us.